Um, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we're in, I'm sorry, I should always have this prepared. I never can remember what episode we're on. But <laughs> we are we are doing Nahum this week uh, with Matt Mysterick, Peter Chernis, myself, Joel Price. And I'm not even going to introduce a theme. Uh, one of the things that that struck me, and so I have no idea where this is going to go today, is there's some really, really challenging scripture in this week's, or at least references to challenging ideas in the scriptures this this week. And so um, I am maybe nervous on where this discussion is going because I, I really have no clue. I know, uh, Peter, that in your in your sermon and um, kind of in your prompt, you talked about the uh let's say the tension between severity and love um with god but uh but really it goes in it goes into i mean a, a lot of mm. of difficult ideas or questions to wrestle with um mm -hmm. in the scriptures so yeah you know i, I don't it, honestly know where to begin on it yeah yeah i i I sympathize actually with, well, with all of us. And sorry, I apologize to you watching this. I made you read some of those readings because there are some tough readings. There are some really, uh, and they're uh, coming from different angles too. And uh, um, I'm, I'm, you know, there's so many scriptures I could have picked. Um, I, I could have just all focused on wrath of God type <laughs> stuff. But I mean, there's a reason why I picked the ones I did, but there's so many others that we could have picked as well. But uh, I, they do, there is a thread a bit through it but it's it is all over the place so well i think there's definitely a thread i mean i I've, i i i actually thoroughly enjoyed reading through and kind of it was almost like a progression throughout the week mm -hmm. um but here's a few notes that i wrote down just in 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 difficult potential topics <laughs> from the <laughs> scriptures and not fear and wrath because we've got mm -hmm. that but the fear thing is is difficult to struggle with mm -hmm. um the high bar of suffering in the Hebrews, you've yet yet not yeah. resisted to the point of blood. Uh, there is uh, the nature of the afterlife. There's a there's a reference to uh, whether you are asleep or awake, um, living with God. There's a uh, the primacy of Israel. There's one that I've always struggled with. You know the the grafting of the branch in and and how how easy it would be for God then to you know toss the grafted branch away uh the the accountability that one on son of man i think that's in ezekiel so in ezekiel it says the son of man says um uh you know if i warn if i warn or i say you're, you know you're gonna die for your sins and you don't warn them i hold yeah. you accountable for the, their blood and yeah. i was like whoa well there's a new one i don't think i've ever read that or i mm -hmm. i've read it but i've never sunk in before and then there's an eternal security, you know, um, I'm trying to remember where that one was, but there is a, there's one that references uh, at least a, um, one of the verses that, you know, the eternal security, kind of the questions to eternal security come from. So it goes back to the grafting one, I think Romans 11. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it literally is like, whoo, these, these are hard hitters. For me, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot to digest in those verses, I guess. When it comes to wrath, first of all, it's not something I think about a lot. And so, Peter, I will not be ordering your Christmas calendar this year. Sorry about that. 
Um, it's not something I dwell on. And it, it's also something that I have sort of pigeonholed in the Old Testament, kind of like, oh, the wrath, the wrathful side of God. That's the Old Testament God. God. You know, forgetting that, of course, the Bible also says God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And the fact is, as, as the scriptures this week showed, there's plenty of wrathful re references in the New Testament. And I think it's it's not like God was wrathful in the Old Testament and he wasn't wrathful in the New Testament and that he's not wrathful today. Today, the, uh, I was reading a quote from um, Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, Ruth Graham, quote from her where she was talking about, and this was in the 1960s, so mm -hmm. mild-mannered you know, compared to today maybe, but she made a comment, a quote in the 1960s saying, um, if God doesn't bring judgment down on America, then he should apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, I've heard that quote. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there are calls to wrath um, and there's the there's the, the aura of wrath all throughout human history, not just in the Old Testament. That's kind of hard. It's much safer to pigeonhole it and to relegate it to the Old Testament. But the well, good news is that... That that same idea. So this was out of the Hebrews one. It was Wednesday's reading, I think. And I wrote down. So one is it's a it's a little bit of a splice because I didn't write down the whole verse. But it said, "For if we go on sinning deliberately, there is no longer remains a sacrifice, but a fearful expectation of judgment." Now that's balanced with later on, where you know God does not de desire wrath. You know, um, but. Mm -hmm. I wrote down a little note that said that, you know, I must be careful that my theology is not driven by my fear of what might be or my hope of what I want it to be. You know, it's like, I, cause I do kind of, I kind of do the same thing, Matt. I kind of pigeonhole the wrath over there. And I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not questioning salvation in this, but I pigeonhole that and I don't really want to think about it. So I, I, I think in, in my, I don't know, I, I tend to like sit in my comfortable like beanbag of mm -hmm. grace and I try to not focus on the accountability and the, and the judgment that is at the same time present in, in really New Testament and Old Testament. It's all over mm -hmm. the place. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And that, that, I do not like that Hebrews 10 passage that I included. It, that's a tough one. It is uh, really hard. I mean, it is tough. And, you know, I think for me, as I've wrestled with the whole concept of the wrath of God, and I kind of brought this out a little bit in the message, but I still haven't totally figured it out completely as far as, you know, we, we think of the wrath of, we think of wrath and we think of human wrath. We th we see it through our own, the lens of our own human brokenness. And so, Whatever God's wrath is, it's completely consistent with His His goodness, His love. Um, it is, it is pure. <laughs> his wrath is pure. It's not, it's not vindictive in the sense that you know human wrath might be. It's not petty in the sense that ours might be. Where I what I would, so so I you know I balance that you know and you you can't completely reconcile. You have to trust uh, in a sense that okay whatever it is, it's in the context of God's goodness, His love. Um, where I still would say, okay, yeah, it's not a human emotion of wrath, but it is still we're creating the image of God. And so, what is the wrath of God? 
you know, if it, mm. Jesus took it, Jesus took the wrath of God. So um, it fell upon Jesus. And yet, you know, as you point out in the, that Hebrews 10 passage, there still can be an experience of God's wrath and judgments. Um, if we fall away, if we turn to unbelief, if we go on sinning, which is basically rejecting Jesus as Messiah, is, is God's wrath a this kind of stoic surgical strike thing that is not like tied necessarily to his emotions it's just this is the pure holiness of god coming in contact with our sin and it it just to like two chemicals interacting that shouldn't you know explode or is it the passionate feeling of a spouse who's been betrayed and hurts and uh, or is it somewhere in between? And so that's that's kind of what I still wrestle with a little bit as far as when I think about the wrath of God as as far as you know God is concerned, you know, because if it if it is if it is that the hurt of a spouse, you know, who's been betrayed, well, how is that solved by Jesus? You know, well, that is scary it. as heck. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> it's scary as heck to to think of God as a right. as an angry betrayed spouse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's well, like, and, and it's like your anger is that the level of your anger, usually your anger be angry because something you love is threatened. Mm -hmm. And, and so the, and so the level of that anger is going to match the level of the love and of the, of the, of the preciousness of the thing that's being at risk. And so that's part of how I balance the love of God and the wrath of God is that God loves us so much or loves his world so much, loves people so much that, you know, wrath is going to, equate to that if you know as, as i used the example of some girl being sold into sex slavery you know he loves that girl so much of course his wrath is gonna uh, be matched by the atrocity but then it's easy to think about that so falling on somebody who really deserves it not me you know yeah right yeah i um i, I find it interesting how we um when it comes to Jesus, sometimes we kind of cheer him on when he gets angry. Like everybody loves the scene in the New Testament where he overturns the money changers tables and they're like, go, Jesus, go. You know, we identify with that because um, we can relate to that. But when it comes to God, the almighty, the all powerful, even though Jesus is that too, <laughs> when it comes to that, that's when we get scared and that's when we don't understand and that's when we tuck mm -hmm. it away and want to not think mm -hmm. about it mm -hmm. um, yeah mm -hmm. the one thing you said peter about um that god's wrath and his anger and his emotion being really bound up and tied up with his love is just sort of the flip side of his love struck me because the old testament i was reading this week God's wrath on, and, and, and this relates to Nahum in particular, because it's talking about the wrath upon um, the Ninevites. Mm -hmm. um, that he was actually, that was actually an act of consolation to the people of Israel because the Ninevites had been so obscenely, disproportionately horrible and wicked and violent to the, the Jewish people that they were. For years and years and years seeking consolation through the destruction of their enemy um and david i mean heck, how many psalms talk about you know when david wanting to call god's mm -hmm. judgment down upon the enemy so 
well, on, on this side of the cross, that wrath seems um, awful and disproportionate. In the historical context of the Jewish nation and the preservation, as you said, Joel, of the Jewish nation, it was necessary. It was actually a consolation. It was sort of an act of love. It was sort of a way of God saying to the Jewish people, this is, this is what I'm doing to the people who did these awful things to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, I mean, I, I do think that I, I'm, a, I'm a relatively linear, you know, logical thinker. Uh, but it actually, as, as I, as I grew up as a kid, I realized that was more of a reaction because, you know, underneath I've got a, I got a bunch of emotion that goes on inside of me. And I, I never really liked that. I didn't like when I got out of control or I, you know, or I got emotional. So I always valued the, the kind of cold logic. And I definitely do see that in, in God, there's times where he's just, uh, kind of the, the, the um you know just the the justice you know just the the unbiased justice i'm 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 mm-hmm. missing the word there but mm-hmm. but i think scripturally it's way more consistent to see god as the passionate god mm-hmm. and i mean uh, you know and and i think the the lesson at the end in revelation with laodicea where you rather you be hot and cold and then lukewarm will spit you out of my mouth or the or with Jacob, um, you know, f- wrestling with God and be renaming, you know, Israel or just, or even Christ, you know, turning over the tables or David or you know, Song of Songs or or what have you. There, there's passion throughout the Bible, and it seems to me that God is actually way more comfortable or natural with a a passionate emotional response not that you'd be driven by emotion i don't want to get on the wrong side of tim keller there but um but i have a hard time seeing god as anything other than a passionate god that that hosea betrayed spouse the um i mean shoot it's it's all over the place and he seems to he seems to reward a passionate, even a wrong passionate response more than a right ambivalent response. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, that, that's, that'd be a whole another really good sermon series, just the emotions of God, you know, kind of thing. Cause yeah. it's a, uh, you know, there is a, we don't like to think of God in those terms to a degree. I mean, even if you go into the non-cultural kind of uh, human, you know, humanistic, yeah. new agey kind of um, philosophy of God is God is a force, Star Wars, it's kind of impersonal force. And, uh, um, and yet the God of the Bible is, is a person, is passionate. We believe that he's the three personal God, God in three persons. So, um, you know, he's <clears throat> in my weak attempts to try to explain the Trinity in the past, I've always said he's, he's not he's not impersonal he's he's everything that a person is and more not less that's kind of what we mm. that's as far as the trinity goes he's everything that a person is and but more not less and so maybe the same you could say even with emotions that he's he has emo, his god's emotions have to be different than ours i mean he's different he's he is he's god 
but rather than making them less than our emotions, maybe they're just even greater than our emotions. Everything our emotions are, but more, not less. Um, but again, not through the broken sinful filter, because uh, emotions are just, um, you know, well, all over the place as far as our a filter through which our, you know, it plays our sinful brokenness plays out in our emotions and all kinds of dysfunctional so ways. It, it strikes me as you're saying that, and, and I, I might be being too simplistic on this, but the, the danger of acting out of emotion is, is a rash or it's kind of like acting before you think hmm. right i mean it's it's whether as whether that's out of kind of uh like a positive passionate response or a negative like anger or wrath or, or what have you but it's the it's the like ah and then you act and then you're like regret it because you didn't think it fully through and it and it strikes me as you're saying that that doesn't actually apply to god mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he can act completely emotionally yeah. with yeah, never having uh a a, a a possibility of acting without thinking one because he's he's infinite but but two he's outside of time at the same so there's not like a oh shoot let me give me a do-over like oh well I'm, or just I'm even that he you know he's got all the fruits of the spirit you know the fruits of the spirit are his fruit not ours yeah, yeah. That we get to experience and so one of them is self-control. So he's got complete, perfect self-control, even in his exercise and expression of emotion. So it's never, he's never just going to, oh, sorry, I lost it there. <laughs> he's, right. he's got complete control, even, even at the same time, he's not in denial. He can express his emotions as well. Because That's I can see we, myself we turning over the, the, the tables in the temple like Christ, but I probably wouldn't have stopped. <laughs> Yeah. That's, Peter, that's funny that you mentioned the, the fruits of the spirit itself. We had that exact conversation in our small group on Sunday about how none of the fruits of the spirit have to do with, with anger or wrath. They're all about meekness and gentleness and kindness and patience. But there is that one, self-control. Self-control doesn't say you don't get angry, but it says it's measured mm -hmm. and it's it's targeted. It's the way it's the way God is. Mm -hmm. not the way that we are all too often yeah the um mm. one other thought kind of on the subject of god's anger versus our anger i, I mean i i think you could even make the, the contention that I, we can't live in a world without anger somebody has to get angry somebody has to get passionate and i think the, the, the point of all this is that god does it better than us and he's he <laughs> We don't, I mean, it says one of these verses, I think it's uh, Hebrews or I'm sorry, it's either Hebrews or Romans. I think it's Hebrews. Put, a, put away all uh, bitterness and wrath and anger and slander and clamor along with all malice. Put, put it all away, not just some of it. I mean, the direction to us is we should put all those things away, including wrath, um, because we don't do it right. We don't know how to do it. We don't know how to do it with self-control generally as a rule of thumb mm -hmm. um but god does and and he's the, he's the one that can be trusted with being angry and being passionate maybe that's an oversimplification but mm -hmm. no it, it, it's to me it's like the there's a there's not a good there's very 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 few um acceptable outlets for anger 
like from a from a godly standpoint. And so I I don't actually think that anger is unique in its ability to be abused. I mean, I think love is abused all the time. But the difference is is that I, I think that what the what scripture does and what the church does has done has set up a a an um some kind of rails for love <laughs> and said like hey if you stay within these rails you're 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 pretty you're pretty good with love you know like love of your neighbor love of your brother love of your wife or your love of your father mother you know and it kind of it kind of sets up these it's really hard to set up those rails for for anger and it's like really there's only a couple of specific times that you're not going to be able to generalize out into. And I think that's, I, I think that's the struggle with anger is I, I honestly don't believe that anger is um, inherently a sin. I just think that the, the application of anger is mostly is most often a sin. Yeah. We got that verse that says be angry, but do not sin. You know, yeah. so it's even yeah. commanded to be angry. Yeah. So it's, it's a, the problem is, is how often there's no institution of anger. We have a, we have marriage as kind of an institution of love. We have all kinds of institutions that, that govern love. We don't have an institution for anger. We don't have a, all right, here's how you do it well. Isn't Twitter? Twitter is an institution of anger. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that is, I want to write that down. <laughs> Well, usually, I'm, you, though, I'm, I'm joking, but I'm not. I think we're getting sc scarily more skilled in our society to institutionalize uh, yeah. anger. But that's a whole nother. Yeah. No, that's really good. Day. Well, you have to you have to get you have to be more more and more vocally angry to get any attention at all to be able to even be heard. You know, and so I think anger is being rewarded in that sense. You know, on both sides, on both sides of all issues, but. Um, well, anger, I think, is, you know, when is it justified? When is it not justified? I, I think, you know, if anger really is comes out as a strong force because something we value or love is threatened, it's usually something we feel like uh, something where it was where uh, something's being threatened, something we're at risk of losing something. Most often, the sinful forms of our anger, which is most of it, I think, is because we're holding on to something that is not really ours to begin with. You mm. know, it's, it's something that uh, we, we feel like we've been violated. That's, I mean, in God's, you know, equ equation of things, is that, that wasn't ours to begin with, or that's, you're not entitled to that. Uh, whereas with, with God, everything belongs to him. And so there's, there's, for him, there's every reason to get angry in, in most situations when we, when we uh, threaten every, the things he loves, which is, which is everything, you know, there, I mean, there's, there's, there's cases, you know, like Jesus overturning the, 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 uh, overturning the, the tables they were making it hard for people god loves to get to know uh, his father and so there's that righteous anger there but most of it is very self-focused something about our our um <clears throat> something in our own self-worth is being threatened something in our own something that we um you know we need to be validated in some ways being threatened or it's it's just, there's some kind of broken form of that's that's uh dysfunction one of the few times that i feel anger that's close to um 
sinless anger. I'm, I don't know how you say it is when something it, it, it usually, it happened um, previously. It doesn't happen as much anymore because my kids are grown, but when my kids were younger, if something threatened them and it was mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. my job is, is to care for them and raise them. And I love them really more than almost anything else. Mm -hmm. And you may not threaten them. You may not get in the way of that. And it, and, it, and it, it's the it's one of the few times it feels unselfish. It it, it becomes like solely like no, like that is a line I won't allow you to cross. Um, not that I even do that well, but I think that's kind of what you're talking about with with God. He is like it's all His, and he, and it's the way He sees everything. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. it, it's, it's the difficulty is there's, there's times, um, especially with having, you know, three girls and a boy as kids where two of them would do something, you know, one would do something to the other and I love them mm -hmm. both. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh man, if some other kid had just done this to you, I'd be coming down on them hard. I don't know necessarily how to handle this because I love you both mm -hmm. <laughs> way easier for me to be angry at the neighbor kid. Because mm -hmm. frankly, even though God says I should, I don't, I don't love them. Mm -hmm. And and it's like, okay, I can, I can mm -hmm. vent my wrath on you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it reminded me also, I think, was this in your sermon or your podcast? Um, I think it was in sermon is the um the relationship between wrath and love it's it's really it's really hard to tamp down the passion on one side without tamping down the passion on the other side or to feel the passion on one side without also feeling the passion on the other side mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's a bit what we were already talking about too just a bit earlier it's that relationship between the two mm -hmm. Yes, I don't know how we could expect God to love us unconditionally and wholly and sacrificially mm -hmm. and not yeah. at the same time yeah. feel that wrath of this, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the verses were good this week. It started off, uh, the scriptures were uh, started off in the week uh, with uh, verses that referred to God. Oh, the one was the, the Romans, the, the Romans yeah. verse, Peter, you were talking to, uh, one of you were talking about with yeah. the... Uh, where, where God is essentially characterized as the, the keeper of the vineyards, right? And he, he's the one who's grafting, grafting or cutting um, branches out of, out of the olive tree. And so I'm reading that. I'm saying, okay, okay, I get that. He has the right to do that. Um, and, and Israel is important uh, to the over, his overall plan. But I didn't see wrath in that. To me, grafting and cutting is not wrath. And then the second verse was, that uh, the next one um, had to do with um, discipline. I think it was. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was, it was in Hebrews. In Hebrews twelve. Yeah. God is a discipliner, and then you know, you know, if if, if we, you know our fathers discipline us for a little while, so you know it's it's not unusual that God would would discipline us as well. And then I could get that. Okay, God is disciplinarian. I get that. So God is keeper of the vineyard. God is disciplinarian. It gets severity in that sense. But I don't see, I didn't see wrath 
in either of those. It was sort of a slow build in the scriptures through the week where we were getting from, all right, disciplinarian. I can see, I can, I'm okay with a God who's a disciplinarian, mm-hmm. but, but the wrath stuff is just really hard, especially because, um, you know, for me, it's always been hard, especially in the Old Testament, um, to see entire kingdoms wiped out. Even the Ninevites, mm-hmm. with, for all the horrible things they did, there were women and children mm-hmm. um, living among the Ninevites who mm-hmm. were, I'm, I'm sure, wiped out too. And all mm-hmm. throughout biblical history, we see that. And it's hard to see that wrath is targeted. It seems so all-encompassing. It's it's really, I, I've always struggled with that. I'm not saying his wrath is not personal, because I think there is, you know, troubling verses that seem to really indicate that his wrath is, <laughs> it's coming at people for what they've done, and it's judgment falling upon, <clears throat> you know, individuals. Um, but <clears throat> I guess for me, I, I think of also wrath and just, I think of wrath and love together, you know, God's passionate love with every single human being, period. But his wrath is very real, and it's going to come against sin and anything that's destructive and that is you know sin in our lives that's destructive because he loves us and so there's a sense of which even that wrath is kind of burning it's just going to burn sin away because he because he hates uh you know just the violation of all his goodness and holiness and and all that and 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 the, the only way that we can encounter that that wrath is is in the covering of jesus and so i think that just is always going to uh, be, um, I know it's, it, it's harder. You can't really reconcile. It's one of those tension of truths you got to hold together, but even the ones that his wrath is, is falling upon, he loves those people. He loves them, uh, equally. And so, um, and, and the, the Ezekiel passage, I don't take the light in the death of the wicked, but rather they, they would turn and live. I want them to live. And so that's even in that judgment passage, it's, that's the heart of God comes out. And so, and that's always the heart of God. He he always wants you know people to live. So it's you know it, I have to imagine if there was any other way for God to 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 win people over to get people to uh, to receive Him without being robots that that He would. But um, um, but. Um, but anyway, I, I, I'm with you, Matt. I, I struggle with those, a lot of those passages too. Uh, I think most people do. But um, um, as, I, as I said in our home group uh, the other night too, because that question came up and, and there's no easy answer, but God's not really wiping people out. Everybody dies. He's at best robbing people of 20 years of life, 30 years of life, because they're going to die anyway. That's a real harsh way to put it. But that's just kind of the reality. It's it's not why did why did God bring death here? Why does he bring why is there death in the first place? Everybody dies, and so it's just a matter of of length and time. And and there really is no good answer uh, for for anything if if this life is all there is. There's no um, there's no it raises a whole another question. But uh, you know it's just as far as dealing with the injustice of this life and even the 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 discipline that some of us go through that. Um, you know, if we really do believe in the immortality of the soul and that we're going to be alive and well a billion years from now, then whatever even pain and struggles that we have in this life is just a, it's just a, it's just a, a snap of a finger in comparison to it. 
it's not a comforting thing for someone going through a difficult circumstance, but it's that's philosophically, I think that's no, but the the injustice of it, and this is not to take away Matt from what you're saying, because I, I struggle with it as well. Um and I'll just say first is that to me it's just a it's a an aspect of faith that I take faith in that God is a good God. So there's something beyond that that I don't understand. And and I and rather than try to explain it away, um, not that I'm saying that you're doing that, Peter, at all, because that's actually what I wanted to comment on. Um, but it's just like I I can't reconcile what is seemingly an unjust thing with a just God. So I either take on faith that God is just, and then I say, well, then that can't be unjust. So there's got to be something else in the picture that I don't understand. Um, and it doesn't answer the question, but it, but that's, that's the only way I can kind of wrestle with it is, is that I can't have the full picture. If I have the full picture, then I, then one of my presuppositions is wrong. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I've, I've kind and, of thrown that I've, that's kind of talked about that before about we're missing data. There's, there's some missing data in the equation and you're never going to get the equation to work if you're missing part of the equation. Right. Yeah. And I do think there's something always to be said about with some of the data we're not missing is that we are not living in the era of that time. First of all, we are not gods. So we're missing that data. And second of all, we are not living in that Old Testament times where much of God's plan was about preserving the Jewish people. Right. And there, there were... There were extreme measures that were taken all throughout mm -hmm. biblical history to to preserve and protect the, the Jewish people. So. Well, and and this gets back to we we've discussed this a couple times, never really in depth in this this roundtable. Um, it was a few weeks ago, and I remember Tyreen was on the was on the call, and and I said, you know, is a funeral sad if if we actually had a window into heaven and you could see the person. Uh, you know, uh, alive in heaven and and at peace and joy and healthy and and all that, it it, it ceases to be at least as sad. It's not even it, it's it's only like minorly sad at that point. It's like it's like well, but he's but he or she's not here. But holy cow, look at how great it is where they are and how great they are. And it, it's hard to be sad in that that point of view. And then when uh, in last week, and I mentioned at the end of it that you know, one of my weaknesses of faith, you know, really does stream around or, or, or come back to the, the question of, of life after death. And, and that's really where the injustice comes from. The injustice comes from is our fear that this life is all there is. Because it, it is harsh what you said, Peter, the the point of view seems harsh but only if we don't have that window into heaven if we have that window into heaven and instead of instead of life ending and another life beginning but you're just like actually just moving streets mm -hmm. right you don't cease to exist when you leave our cul-de-sac we know you're on the next cul-de-sac over mm -hmm. nobody gets like oh my word i can't believe you kicked him out of the cul-de-sac you ended their life no, I would just, they just, they're next, they're the next street over. Like they're, they're still there. That's not a sad thing anymore, other than they're not our neighbor. And 
And I think that's the piece that's really hard to, to wrestle with is that I think from God's perspective, he's almost like has to placate our lack of understanding of eternity and say, I understand you're going to interpret it this way. Mm -hmm. It just isn't this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and um, I, I can see um, um, some of the places in the old Testament too, I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in the inerrancy of scripture. I, I, I take it literally wherever you can or should take it early. Uh, but I think there are certain passages in the old Testament where it's God speaking through a prophet or such, but he's also speaking through a circumstance and mm. the emotions of the prophet is coming through. And as you pointed out, Matt, or Joel, or which one of you said that just, uh, you know, the, the, it's comfort. I think you talked about Matt, that there's, there's a comfort factor that is coming through really in the message of the prophets to these Israelites who've been so abused by this horrible power. And so there, he's, you know, there, it's a, it's a statement of, of, hang in there, God is just, you know, uh, you'll be vindicated. Um, and so, um, and, and, and a lot of it's poetry, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the prophets that we're reading here, it's, it's poetry and, and not that, you know, the truth, the truth comes in poetry, but it is, it, it can be read as some of it, some of it needs to be read as poetry too. You know, got to kind of take into the genre into consideration. Um, that doesn't explain away all the hard things of God no. wiping out peoples and the Canaanites and all that. But, uh, um, but even there, you've got a God who's waited 400 years, gave them 400 years of, of a chance to, to repent. But so I will, um, I'll say that the, the, the Ezekiel passage is the one that keeps has has I won't say haunted me, but keeps getting back, you know, to me. Um, first, because it says the son of man and the whole son of man, son of God thing has always kind of, you know, been difficult for me. Um, but what is clear in the Ezekiel passage is that God clearly does not want his wrath to fall on people, mm-hmm. but it will. And so there's, there's a, uh, a really urgent warning in that, that kind of the turn explanation, but turn, turn from your ways, you know, it's very urgent, but even to the point where he says to the son of man, if I warn you and you don't, and you don't warn them, then, mm-hmm. then, you know, you are accountable for their blood. Now he doesn't say you'll take their consequence. They're still dying. <laughs> um, but he says, in addition to their, them dying, mm-hmm. I'm holding you accountable. And so when I read that and I think, okay, let's just hope he's only talking to Jesus here, but he used that, that dang son of man title, not the son of God title, which makes it a little bit closer to us. And I guess that the, the, the natural question that pops up in my head is, am I accountable for the blood of my neighbors? Mm-hmm. Well, and you are probably a little bit need to be worried about that, but I, as a pastor, apparently need to be even more worried because, uh, as James says, I'm, I'm done. This is my we, last we podcast. Who are, we who are teachers are held to a great accountability, and then I've struggled with that as a pastor, and you know, it's I I would 
I'm in the statistic, you know, how many times have I preached on hell? Hmm. Um, I, I think I, I have, but I haven't liked it. I think it's been, I could probably count on my one hand, probably how many times I've done it. Um, and it probably just because I, you know, convicted by Ezekiel all of a sudden, then just realizing um, that Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. Whatever hell is, you know, and you could, you could, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, I think it's probably other than we maybe envision it and it's uh, as, as heaven, but it's, um, it's bad enough that Jesus went to great lengths to warn people about it. Yeah. There, there, there's something very real there. And, um, um, and so, um, you know, the, I think the bigger question for me has always been, you know, how how do you communicate that without sounding like a crazy, you know, fun well, kind it's, of you it's, know, hateful person? But it's know. not you're accountable whether or not they're saved. It's right. the, it's just it's just the warning. Giving the warning, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and let, let's okay, let's let's get a little personal here then too, because there's um, there are some frightening verses like that we looked at too of just uh, you know the. Um, if we go on sinning, there's no, there, we can't, no more sacrifices left. Um, and even, you know, that, that Romans 11 passage, you know, this is, uh, I'll just kind of, <clears throat> as I, you know, I, like you, Joel, as you shared last night, I'll get a little vulnerable too. I'm confident in my salvation. I have assurance of salvation. I have a real relationship with Jesus. I, I, I believe in grace. Uh, I know that I'm forgiven. Um, but, uh, you know, it's we still see through a, a glass dimly. Uh, we don't yeah. see face to face. It is faith still, and so of course, as we kind of talked in our small group the other night a little bit, um, so there's some emotions that will go back and forth. Like I don't know, I'm going to be a little afraid on that day. You know, I, I am I just going to fall into the arms of Jesus on that day, or is am I going to get my hand slapped on that day? You know, there's still I'm going to be before the living God on that last day, and right. He may not be exactly how I picture him or imagine him to be in my still maybe a little bit Sunday school mentality. And I, you know, cling to those verses that Jesus give, come to me all here, weary, heaven laden, I'll give you rest. And, and uh, he is the good shepherd and, and all that. So, uh, but at the same time, I think, and, and so maybe this is the application piece. I think there is, I don't think we need to, I don't think we're supposed to be afraid of God, but I think there is maybe, we should maybe have a more of a healthy fear of God than we really typically do, at least in the American church. Um, that 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 he, and that's that gets to the to the severity thing, and that's why I include some of those just the Hebrews twelve passages and even the Romans yeah. eleven. That that uh, there is a severity of God. He doesn't coddle us. He he calls us to take up our cross and follow him. He he called his disciples who he loved so much, and he sent them out knowing that most of them are going to die horrific deaths and so he you know he doesn't coddle us he uh and yet we we really do seek coddling and and just relying on just the comfort piece and and uh, um uh, and um, it's kind of what you know bonifer called cheap grace a little bit rather than costly grace but, yeah. So the Ezekiel verse, we've, we've been kind of going round and round with that Ezekiel verse. We don't spend a lot of time in Ezekiel, usually, the church. So that one really... Now we know why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, so the, the, the verse, the, the one that 
it, it falls at the end there where it says, um, uh, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they would, uh, that they would turn. And then it says like more than once or two or three times, turn back, turn back from your, from your wicked mm -hmm. ways. You know, it's yeah. turning, what it's saying is to turn away or to turn, you know, turn you. So the, the old Testament is all full of turning away. Not, well, we don't want to turn. We don't want to turn the way the lot's wife turned, right? She turned the wrong <laughs> way. Um, but it's all, you know, it's about, it's about turning away from something, turning away from wickedness. But, but the verses that strike me this week and are about turning towards something, mm -hmm. turning towards the grace of God, turning towards um, his forgiveness and um, his grace. And, you know, to me, that's an image that stuck with me as Old, Old Testament is about turning away in mm -hmm. the New Testament, I think it's about turning towards something. Mm -hmm. And I guess I've, I've always saw, seen that Ezekiel passage as a, uh to look at it again I, i've always pictured it as turning you know turning away from sin but turning to god uh, or to life and and there's only life in him and so that's that's uh, as i live declares life rather yeah turn from his way okay turn from your wrong way turn back though turn back seems to imply turning back to god um yeah so yeah. Well, I, I, that's the way, Matt, I've always thought about law and grace as, and, and this is a uh, um, oh, disclaimer. Here's my small type disclaimer. This is not scriptural. This is like, this is like Joelism. This is the way I've kind of made of sense. This is the book head. of second Joel. Yeah. yeah right. Second, yeah, second Joel um, <laughs> is, is that I don't actually believe that God's best for us ever was the law. I think it's what we want. We want the rules and the, and the, what the rules do is they, anytime you, and you put a rule on somebody, um, it immediately tells you what not to do, right? That's what rules do. Don't murder, don't lie, don't, you know, et cetera. Um, and when you when you coach or teach or guide someone, counsel someone, one of the first things you learn is don't say don't. Immediately when you when you tell someone like you know you're helping them with their golf swing or something like that, and you say, yeah, don't uh, don't bend your elbow. Mm -hmm. They're gonna bend their elbow. As soon as you put that thought in their head, they're gonna do it. And so you it, it has to be a do. Like it has to give a, it, there has to be a do and the law can never be a do. The law always is a, is a, is a limiting, limiting factor. So it's always a don't. And what grace does is it removes the don'ts and it says do. And so it's, it's the, it removes the turn aways and it, and it, and it gives us the, the turn to, it gives us the love your neighbor and love God. It gives us the um you know the fruits of the spirit it gives us it and it's not different from what god wanted in the in the old testament it's almost like it's almost just like better psychology it's like it's like listen this is the way it's been all the time i just want you to love me i want you to love your neighbor you know ezekiel's an old testament book and he's taking it very seriously that you need to warn people and and, and i think that's I, I i love that idea man that's a great um, kind of the, the turn away and turn to that's what the that's what the gospel is all about the gospel is all about removing 
that focus on what I'm turning from and focusing on what I turn to. Set your eyes on things above. Set your heart on things above. And you could really, you know, the New sure. Testament is, is really a commentary on the Old Testament. So it's like, it's not like something changed from the old to the new, yeah. but, but, you know, Jesus, um, you know, and Paul both say, you know, the two greatest commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. If you've just fulfilled these two laws, you fulfill all the laws, all the don'ts, yeah. basically, encountering the Pharisees who love the don'ts and, and created even more don'ts. And no, you're exactly right, Joel. That's, that's, I mean, just it, the law was not meant to, to be God's, you know, plan A. It was, uh, you know, Paul talks about it just being this custodian because we're kids and we need the laws. But once you're grown up, you don't need, you don't need the rules anymore because you become mature. And so, you know, the law had a purpose, drive us to Christ. But, uh, and yet there's, there's, it's the law of Christ now because he's the law made yeah. flesh. And so it is still, now, by the spirit, uh, the live by the spirit, not by the letter of the law, but it's still fulfilling the the uh, the dues. That, um, but it's totally different from the inside out, more transformative. Well, we've come up kind of on an hour, even after our uh, Tolkien and other yes other topics. Yes, the those of you who are watching this, uh, I'm I'm I won't edit this part out, but I'm editing out the whole. We had about 15 minutes talking about rings of power and uh what we felt about uh, uh that how that fit in with the tolkien canon so nerd alert nerd alert <laughs> guilty as charged uh, yeah <laughs> all right let's pray and we will uh we'll wrap it up for this week and all right dear lord god thank you um thank you that we do not need to understand all of this uh that that you have made clear what you need us to know that you are that you are love and you are wrath but you have no desire for your wrath to fall upon us that that we are not destined for the wrath to fall upon us but because of your son we are justified and we are saved and we are forgiven lord thank you uh, that you passionately hold us close and pursue us and help us to respond in like manner with passion toward you and following you in your lordship and in your love thank you god in jesus name i pray amen Well, let me bring this back to yeah. then the most probably important question. And that is, you know, based on what we did see in the rings of power, <laughs> is it possible for orcs to be saved? I mean, Adar was their, you know, their orc and elven father. And it seemed to me almost like, aren't they created by Eru Iluvatar as well? The one true God of Tolkien's universe. And that they're perverted, distorted elves. Do they still have a soul? Can they be saved? That's that's, a, that's the part you need to edit out right there. Right? <laughs>